thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to Football Digest, the Women's World Cup edition. Um, We are back for another podcast today. Uh, We are live, so if you do have any questions, any comments, then please do pop them in the comments and then we will try our best to get to them. Um, I am joined by Louise and Megan today. Um, Hello to you both. We are three days away from England's next match, through to the round of 16, which, thank God, we managed after that amazing victory. Um, And what a few days it's been since we last had our podcast as well. It has been monumental and phenomenal and historic and there has been all sorts of emotions flying everywhere. So today we're going to have a little look ahead to our England game on Monday. It's a nice and early kickoff at 8.30 in the morning um, for those here in the UK and it's a 5.30pm local time out in Australia. So we'll come on to that first. Um this morning, there's some quite positive news that's coming from the England camp. Kira Walsh is training. Really good news. It isn't with the rest of the group, but she is doing individual rehab, which is amazing signs considering when she did first go down, everybody just feared the absolute worst. Um, Louise, I'll come to you first. I mean, it's nothing but positive to see her back in the gym, right? Oh, absolutely. And- I remember pre-tournament when Millie Bright was training on her own and everyone's going, oh, can she make it? Can she not? And I, I think this is just setting her up for a big return and we'll see a surprise one at the semis if we get through. You, you're calling it the semis. I reckon it'll just come out of nowhere because Serena's like that. I mean, look how much she shocked us with the last lineup. So I think we're all guessing. If we're guessing and we're fans and journalists, then how are the opposition feeling? So he must be just be terrified. She could pop up at any point. And and that's great. And I love that we've got that depth and we've still she still can be a threat. We can still use her. It looks so fingers crossed. Semis. Megan, what are your thoughts on it? Obviously, she is doing it on her own. And like Louise said, we saw that with Millie. And there was some pessimistic comments kind of with Millie and thinking, oh, will she make the first game? And we did have discussions on, you know, we didn't see her at her best, but come on, that's to be expected. She was out for weeks beforehand. Um, Kira Walsh has literally been out for days. She's already in the solo training. Um, talk to me. When do you think she'll be back? Do you think she'll be back? Um, will we see her with the group training again? I, I think, yeah, I think there's a good chance that she might be training with the group. I think the bigger picture here is that this isn't a huge ACL injury and that she's going to be out for months and potentially like, miss the next season with Barcelona she's a world-class player she's one of the best players and that's the one thing like I was actually really worried about not only for the World Cup obviously she's huge for England and England don't want to see that but you also don't want to see a player's entire season get upended before it's even begun so for me like if she is back training with the group that's huge but it's also huge for like the future of her career so now I, I think she could be back for the semis I don't know, though. I'm not a doctor. Uh, when I Googled it, it said like four to six weeks. So but then again, like I've been I've thought I've injured myself and been like, I'm going to be out for a month and I'm ready in two days. So 
I don't know. I have no idea. I think she definitely could be back before the end of the tournament. But as well, like, you know, maybe Serena is going to be one of those people who doesn't want to push her and rush her and turn it into and exacerbate the issue. But as well, like it's the World Cup. This is probably the one time where Kiera might be like, no, I, I want to do this. I want to push it as much as I can. So there's going to be a load of conversations happening. But if anyone can do it, I think Kiera Walsh can do it. So um, from an English perspective, great news for everyone else. Not so much. I think that's it, isn't it? And you both touched there upon the view for everybody else and everybody else will be terrified. And I think that's exactly how they would have been feeling when they saw our lineup against China. We saw our lineup against China and had group discussions on what on earth is going on. Um, we had no idea how we were going to come out and, and be a formation on the pitch, but never doubt Serena, it worked. Um, Louise, how do you think, do you think she might, and this is coming from a woman as well, who never really changes things up. She went through the entire Euros tournament, not changing it up. She did say in the pre-press conference that she was like, no, I'll change it up if I need to. Well, lo and behold, she did. She is true to her word, that woman. Um, how do you think we're going to go in for the next one? Obviously, we have Nigeria on Monday. For those that don't know, if you don't know, you have been living under a rock. Um, and it's going to be a really tough opponent as well because Nigeria's got some incredible players, which we'll come on to in a little bit. But yeah, Louise, talk us through what, what your thoughts are. Obviously, for those watching, we are not, we're not fully predicting Serena's probably not listening to this. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts, Louise? I don't know. I reckon Serena's listening because I asked for Katie Zellum to be in the middle and she appeared. So I reckon Serena's honest. Um, no, I loved that lineup. I, I loved how literally no one could guess where this was going. I mean, even just the, the conversation of where was Rachel Daly playing? She's come in, she's, she's signed into the tournament as a striker but she's played left back in this tournament and everything, everywhere else. But she was in midfield. And we're all going, uh, what, uh, yeah, no one could guess. And I think if we, like I said, if we can't guess, what are the other opposition doing? And Kira, losing Kira Walsh was awful. But I think Katie Zellum stepped up. And to be honest, I sort of forgot it was, it was Katie Zellum in the middle because she was really fluid, bouncing the balls off, quick one-two touch play. And I think she did a stellar job. So although, yeah, okay, we've lost Kira, but you pull uh, Lauren James into that 10 and suddenly you've got that whole two, two midfielders want to shield Lauren James where two midfielders were shielding Kira Walsh. So it works. So putting put in a valuable player like uh, Lauren James in the middle, it's just as much of a threat, I think. So when Kira Walsh comes back, that's going to be terrifying. I'm going to have the whole middle four just, trying to defend our two midfielders. Anyway, um, but I, I think she's, she's going to keep it the same. Why, why would you change it if it's not broken? I think in one respect, you've got the best of every player on that field that day against, against China. And I, I think you've just got to go with it, you know, because the fear was she opened the tournament that's sort of the same as the Euros. And was it seemed like she was forcing something that just wasn't working. It's like, no, we'll go again. I'll make a tiny tweak. We'll go again. And then she just pulls out this crazy lineup and we're all like, bloody hell, there's life back in them. So I think 
it really it really showed what we were capable of. And everyone I spoke to had been like, my God, we can win this. They look like they're on fire. They look like they're happy. Every player is just was just loving the time on the ball, the freedom that they all had. It just worked. So I hope it stays the same. It's a long way of saying that. We love the long ways of saying it because this is what we're here for. We're here for the insight. We're here for the chat. You know, for people that didn't watch it, they get little nuggets of wisdom from from everybody. So we love it. Um, Megan, I'm going to have to also ask about Beth England as well. Um, for those that haven't watched before, we love Beth England on this on this podcast. She ripped Spurs up last year. She was amazing for them. Um, she did come off the bench but do we think that she'll get another start this time around or do we think that she's going to be benched again Uh, I I can't see her starting this I think this is this is the knockout rounds this is when you get serious you've got to win and so far Serena hasn't really entrusted Beth with that kind of responsibility but to be honest bringing Beth England on as a super sub come on like that that is such a flex that is great I'm a Beth England stand account walking and breathing um, I think she's great, but I also don't think that she is your answer for the starting 11. Um, going back to that starting 11, I, I agree with Louise. I think it was a really smart move. I think as well, like you brought the midfield a little closer to Alessia Russo. And that obviously like helped her with the opening goal. It helped open up her game way more. I think the way that they used the wide areas was really, really smart. So I could see them doing that again. But I mean, England has such an incredible strength and depth. It's, it's quite annoying, actually, from an outsider's perspective. But from an England perspective, it is absolutely fantastic. And if you can bring in Beth England off the bench, you can bring in Chloe Kelly off the bench. I mean, come on. Like, what a joke that is. When all of a sudden I saw her number come up, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot she hasn't been playing this game. Um, and, and the score is ridiculously one-sided. Like that is just fantastic. So no, I think Serena has so many options on hand and all of these players are interchangeable to an extent. I think Lauren James is your one player who genuinely is completely in and in, in, I can't say the word, but no one can replace her essentially. She really is that fantastic. I think keeping her at the number 10 is sort of integral to England's World Cup hopes. But as well, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Rachel Daly, Lisa Russo, Bethany England. If you wanted to, if she wanted to swap and change those around, she could. And I think all of those players are capable of doing something fantastic on the pitch. So kudos to Serena. She's really at the jackpot there, don't you think? Yeah, she really has. She, I mean, we are very, very lucky that we have. Am I going too wild to say one of the most versatile squads in the World Cup this year? I think Japan have such, they've, they've got a shout for that, the way that their manager has managed to set up three completely different lineups in order to negate whoever their opposition is and do it fantastically. What they did to Spain was not a one-off and it was also just a, a show and a demonstration of the strength and depth that they have, the versatility that they have and the tactical acumen that they've got. So I think Japan might give Serena a bit of a run for her money in that, compos- in that competition. Yeah, that's a really good point. And when I watched Japan against Spain, I was petrified if we ever came up against them. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. I, don't, I just don't want to do it. Um, for our sake, for Serena's sake, for the whole team's sake, I don't <laughs> just don't want to face Japan. Um, so we do have Nigeria on Monday. Um, Louise, do you want to take us through Nigeria because they have got some incredible players to watch out for? Um, 
And they've also got, I think, one of two 40-year-olds in the tournament um, who is just absolutely smashing it. Do you want to talk us through a few of their, their ones to look out for that people should be uh, wary of? First of all, Oshawana, if you don't know who she is, you, again, have been living under a rock. You know, Barcelona's number number nine. She... Her goal scoring prowess, I don't understand, I don't quite understand how she does it either. Somehow it's always capitalizing. She's always going and, and always looking for that rebound. And if you think about how England have conceded or almost conceded with China with that ball right across the middle, it had all of us, you know, all of us like shocked. I think Mary Oates was shocked the way like her face of the ball went past so quick. But Oshwala would have finished that. She would have got in the way. And so I, I think we have to su- be super clean on our defensive and not give anyone like her an inch on the ball. She is a really, really big threat uh, up front. Um, you've got Tony Payne in the middle, who is the, the Messi of Nigeria. She's been coined. So again, so she is ultimately our Lauren James, because I think Lauren James is pretty much like Messi. With the, the ball. I mean, the ball moves before she's even moved her foot. Like it leaves her foot. Like... I'm watching and I'm still watching her and the ball's gone. I'm like, oh God, like, I don't understand. But so that's only been in the middle, the seven. Um, so I think she's going to be one that's going to give us a run for our money as well. We've also got Ebby at the back, centre back. It's her sixth World Cup tournament as well. So that experience to organise the back line, you can't buy that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they haven't conceded yet, I don't think. So she's doing something right. She's organizing very, very well. And you've come up against like Canada, the Olympic champions, and they haven't scored against Nigeria. You just, what is going on? Their defensive game is solid. So I, for me, they're the three that I think, it's kind of the spine of the team as well, if you think about it, like in the middle, whereas we're still trying to find our spine. But I think they're the, the three players that are going to give us some trouble. Um, and their lineup, I do want to add, they had a 4 2 3 wide like we do. So our whip play and how we can pull the, the, the wing backs back and, and the two centre mids back and create like a seven if we really wanted to at the back, they can also do that. So how, how could we set up to pull them apart? Because I, do, I don't know if that would work. I really, really don't. I don't know what you think, Meg. I was going to say they've conceded two, but that was against Australia because it was 3-2. That was the only, yeah, that was the only thing. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. I think the way that they set up is is similar in the sense that it could sort of, both teams kind end up going into sort of like a weird sort of chess match against each other. I do think though, Nigeria are more happy to defend, to sit back and then sort of hit on the break. And that's how you've seen a lot of these, I don't want to call them you know, smaller countries by any means. Nigeria have been on this. I've been on like the international stage a number of times. They won a ton of major major tournaments. They're very very good. But they on the break that is their game, and I think that's where England were sort of exposed a few times in the group stages, especially before Millie Bright really like kind of got into her stride. So I think that's where they're going to really try to hit England. Um, but still, I think the way that that three five two worked so well in terms of just the the overruns that they that England were able to create I think that's where they're going to sort of get their happiness out of it so I don't know though I, I'm not Serena I don't know why I'm even pretending to say these things 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm excited for it because I think with China, the caveat for them, I don't think China played well against England whatsoever. I think there were two reasons for that. England came out and were dominant, but I was well like China didn't really show what I think that they are most capable of, where I think Nigeria are going to be able to do that. They've got absolutely nothing to lose in the same way England have nothing to lose here. So I think Nigeria are going to be a really big test, more so than I think a lot of people are anticipating. And I'm personally like, I'm very excited for that because this World Cup, if anything, has just tossed up so, so many upsets. Um, and it's been really exciting from, you know, if you just want to be like a neutral watching this, this is easily the most entertaining World Cup that there's ever been women's wise. Yeah, I think the last couple of days and have been absolutely insane. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I think you're right there, though, Megan. Just looping back to your point on China, I was really expecting them to give us a little bit more of a challenge. And I'm a little bit gutted that we didn't get to see exactly what they're made of against us. Um, although it probably would have set my blood pressure through the roof. Um, I really wish we could have seen more because they are a really good team. Um, but yeah, Monday is going to be an interesting one and I am not looking forward to, um, the nerves that will come for the entire time, um, for that one. So the last couple of days, where do we begin? Um, let's begin with Brazil, Jamaica. Yeah, what a game. Um, Louise, you literally took a, a massive deep breath then. Um, for those that don't know, Brazil are out. It is the end of the road as well for the absolute icon that is Marta. She didn't get to score in her sixth World Cup, but my God, what a legacy she has left behind. It just indescribable. and. I know a lot of our players, Beth Mead, Leah Williamson, have been playing, paying tribute to Marta as well because she's just set the game up all those World Cups ago, ready for the path of, of those coming into her shoes. So let's talk about that one, Louise. That, yeah, I cried at the end of that game. I Honestly, I teared up because not only have we just seen Marta leave the international stage, but you see... What she's been doing all these years is paying off, if this makes sense. So she's set that up. She set women's football up. You know, she she was doing a post post game press conference cry be like, when you're you didn't show women's football. This is your fault, which I love. And um, so she's really put that she's really put the women on on the uh how are you gonna put it? She's really put women on the women's football on the stage. She's delivered it, you know, she's been the icon, the, the pioneer of everything. Um, and you see her now, like all the fruits of her labor has brought the likes of Bunny Shaw to knock her out. And and you saw him at the end of the game, like passing words. And you could, I don't I don't know what was said. No one knows what was said, but it was just like your future, keep going. You're taking you can just see it in her face, like, I'm giving you, I've created this football world and I'm handing it to you, the next generation. It's yours. Go and look after it. Go and enjoy it. And you could just see that, and I, 
oh, I was so emotional. And I was just watching as a neutral fan. And I, and I just, oh, God, it's legendary and legacy is, is the only word for it. I think she's football royalty. You have the stars and then you have these people who just are next level Pele, Maradona, Ronaldo, David Beckham, Marta. You know, she's up there and as a, she scored the most goals at any World Cup, men and women. You know, this is the type of person we're dealing with. And I do want to know on the 2019 World Cup, she wore bright red lipstick. And I remember this thinking, oh, is this like a, a feminine stance? Like, is it? And it was just because she wanted to leave blood on the field. She said, that's my indication. I'm leaving it all out. And I'm like, oh, I love this woman because she's just so passionate about the game and what she's giving. And, oh. and she's 37 competing with people 15, 20 years younger than us. So that makes me feel a lot better in my athletic world, just being like, oh, I know I've, I've still got a couple of years on, I'm all right. So she's doing wonders, whether it's just football or just women empowerment all over. And just thank you. I mean, she's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. How are you going to follow that one, Megan? I don't think I'm capable of it. Um, yeah, I think what, once once Louise became like bereft out of breath in, in words um, and and yeah, I don't think I can really follow that up with any sort of hyperbole. But no, Marta is amazing. And I think this World Cup really is sort of a changing of the guard. We saw it with the men's World Cup. You know, this was Ronaldo, Messi's sort of last stand. And you got to see then the new stars coming through. And that's obviously happening now. Janine Becky with Canada, obviously, Marta. I mean, to be honest, Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan, I definitely didn't expect either one of them to really be as involved in the squad as, as they are. And then now you're getting to see players like Linda Casado, who is 18 years old and is genuinely probably the next kind of big woman's name. Like that is exactly who it is. But even within the Brazil squad, there are youngsters in there that you just know, okay, for the next 10, 12 years, you are going to be so absolutely exciting. Lauren James is only 21. It takes conscious reminding that this woman was not at the Euro 20, Euro 2020s, blah, blah, blah. The tournament last summer, um, she wasn't there. Like it, it's, it's, it's been really fun to sort of see not only the changing of the guard, but also like the step up in quality that has happened ubiquitously around the tournament from all of these different nations and the stars that are beginning to shine. And that's because of the spotlight that Marta, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Janine Becky, they demanded for years and years and years. And like Louise said, that's the fruits of their labors coming to fruition. So it's exciting. It's deserved. It's long overdue. But if anything, it, it's one of those where you're happy to pay tribute to what these women have done previously. He's so much more eloquent than I am, Megan. I got a poetry degree. I didn't actually get one in journalism. That's why. They were both absolutely beautiful. Um, have no fear in that. Um, they were incredible testaments to the to the players that have that we've witnessed in these group stages. And I think we're very lucky in the growth that women's football has seen over the last year, that the people that are very new to women's football and are watching it, they have witnessed that and they are witnessing the transition. And I think that's an incredible thing to witness as well, to see, like Megan, you said, that changing of the guard from these legendary players to literally the new martyrs of of the new generation of, of women's football. And I actually just want to kind of pay tribute to Jamaica a minute because they almost didn't make it to the World Cup. They literally had to crowdfund and raise money. Let's remind people that women's footballers still don't get the chance just to, just because they've 
they've qualified for the World Cup, it doesn't mean to say that they might actually make it there. They had to crowdfund to have accommodation paid for, their travel paid for, even just to eat some of the time, like some of their food costs. <laughs> They're now in the, the round of 16, like incredible. Well, the so it's Jamaica obviously had a lot of issues coming into this World Cup, like you, like you mentioned, the fact that they had a crowdfund um, online through one of the players' mothers, but Nigeria as well, like they boycotted their game, their their send off game against Canada due to long standing pay issues. Issues in South Africa did the same thing over issues with the pitch that also really were just exacerbated again by payment issues, by subpar standards, and these aren't just these countries. You know, Spain obviously the mutinous fifteen plus three. That was them sort of going up against not a lot of the headlines were screaming about coach, the coach Jorge Vilda, but actually underneath those accusations, it was these are subpar standards. We're having to take the bus instead of trains and planes to go places. We're not getting the correct facilities. We're not getting the correct treatment. Where are our physios and our doctors? That's Spain you're talking about. England as well. They've just had to halt their pay disputes over bonuses with the FA in order to focus on the tournament. Um, but what's come out of this group stage is especially with some of these teams qualifying, Nigeria, after that they drew nil-nil with the Republic of Ireland, they were told directly in their in their um, dressing rooms that they were going to get paid the 30 grand from FIFA. These players were actually going to see the money. And previously that hasn't happened. The money's been given to the federations and the federations have sort of done what they wanted to and it ha- the players haven't actually seen it. So Nigeria women were told, you will see this money. Same with Jamaica. They, a lot of these players are about to make more money than they've ever made previously. And that is because these players are showing up on the pitch, doing what they're doing in spite of the myriad issues and tribulations that have sort of stymied their potential progress. And I think that's the big sort of lesson from this World Cup so far is that these it's been the most exciting, thrilling, competitive, entertaining World Cup in the world. But that is in spite of a lot of the issues that a lot of these federations are still sort of thrusting upon their women's team. I think of Morocco as sort of a team that people should really look at. In 2009, the Moroccan Federation decided they were going to support their women's program. And that is showing so many fruits. Like they've now qualified for the round of 16. They're the fourth, the first North African nation to do so. Um, I think as well, they're the only, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but Morocco's two-tier championship is the only two, two-tier championship in the world where the players are full-time which is fantastic. And the Moroccan Federation pay their players in order to make it so that the families will allow their, their girls to go and pursue a football career. So that's the kind of support that federations need to provide all around. And then when you see, and when that happens, I think the Women's World Cup is just going to explode and the quality you're going to see on the pitch is amazing. I'm going to be quiet now because I've just rambled a little bit. But I think that's what everybody needs to hear and that's what everybody needs to see. Like we talk so much about the quality of football has been incredible. It's been the best competitive, exciting World Cup we've ever seen for the women. Imagine what will happen, say in four years time, hopefully, if most of these issues or all of them, fingers crossed, are resolved. I know nothing happens overnight. Imagine the quality that we are going to see then. It's there's going to be fireworks on, on the pitch. It's going to be incredible. There was, I remember one of the commentators said the order of women's football is changing, and it couldn't be more true. And you're sat there thinking you've got these again. I, I want to say underdogs. I love an underdog fight. And you see these underdog teams that are not expected to win, not expected to get a result, but they. 
they're, they're throwing big teams out of a World Cup and, and with Brazil, to be honest, we're probably th- and Germany, we're probably thinking, oh, we've got this group thing. Yeah, we can chill. We've got the support. We've got the money. We've got the experience. We've got this. And I'm like, uh-uh. The people are comp- it's like they've been a little bit, I don't want to say they've been a bit lazy, but it's as if they're, well, we are royalty. We've done this for so long. They can't compete with us. But then like Morocco with what they're doing and they've, they've, they've been quiet about it in the football sense in the football world. So we didn't know that that was going on particularly. It's not, it's not shouted about. And then now they're, they're, in, they're technically above Germany at this point. So you're going, hold on a minute. What is going on? So this is why it's been so exciting and underdog after underdog fight. And yeah, like you said, Megan, it's been one of the most thrilling tournaments ever. I actually just want to, we'll, we'll loop back around now to Germany because I know that we haven't actually spoken about the European finalists of 2022 he knocked out <laughs> of the Women's World Cup 2023, um, literally a year after they lost to England in the final of the Euros. Um, just dropping that one in there. Um, they're now out of the World Cup in the group stages. I mean, again, it's ridiculous. Louise, do you want to take that one first? Because I don't know how to unpack it and we don't even have that long left. We don't, so I'll keep it quick. But I was I was going for a walk um, just just on my day. I was going for a walk and I was like, you know, I just want to check in on the score. And I saw that Germany were 1-0 down. That was it. My phone was on for the, and I was walking, looking at my phone, totally not the, ob- ob- the objective of that thing. So I'm walking. And then after, just before uh, halftime, Germany equalized. So I was texting, oh my God, Germany, you know, they, they are going through, they are going through. And then halftime whistle, Morocco score. And I'm going, oh my God, Germany's been knocked out again. Look, within minutes. I'm like, text my friend, oh my God, oh my God. So I'm glued, glued to it for the rest for the rest of the game. Absolutely fantastic. But what an upset. What an absolute upset. And, and Morocco deserved to win against Colombia, which when you think about it, Germany beat Morocco 6-0. And then Morocco beat Colombia 1-0, who beat Germany 2-1. I mean, like, it, it's just been just such a topsy-turvy group. Um, but Germany tried. Like, that onslaught, that second-half onslaught, they they were not letting up, and yet nothing was working for them. And you know, South, um, South Korea, like, they deserve credit for this. Like, they they played really well. They defended really, really well. They they, they hampered them. And South Korea hadn't scored at all the, this entire tournament and managed to get one against against Germany, which is you know, for them, quite exciting. They can say that they played a part in Germany's downfall, which not many teams can say that they did. Um, it definitely makes the USA's travail seem a little, le- he- little less hellish when Brazil and Germany get knocked out. Um, they still needed like inches of pipe to save them from debutantes Portugal, but we won't get into that aspect of the game yet because I can't handle that. Um, but it, it's it's really good. It's It's really exciting. I think Morocco, that, that huddle that they had to do post-match because they were still waiting on Germany's result elsewhere that is so like epitomizing of the World Cup that anxious wait that that desire and then obviously the euphoria once it all sort of erupted and and the news turned out it's it's really sad when you think about Alexander Pop though you know she's 32 I to be 36 to go to your next World Cup I think she will I think she will make it because she's just such a phenomenal athlete such a phenomenal player but to see her have to pose with the player of the match award um, with a selfie stick, despite being knocked out of the group stages. Obviously, you've got Kai Havertz, who sort of set the precedent previously. I'm not sure if FIFA just have a really cool sense of humor or if they have really short memories, but 
I mean, to do that twice to a German player, that is pretty horrendous stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm sure Germany will come up with a word for it at some point. Um, but but yeah, I, I do feel for Alexander Kopp, who looked absolutely devastated post-match, I think on the verge of tears, but also she was quite angry, which she had every right to be. Um, but but this is the World Cup and this is what happens. And, you know, four years time, I think this will be a very almost normal thing to see big teams crashing out. Like like you said, Louise, don't don't underestimate the the underdogs of knocking out. Don't don't just don't do it. Um speaking of underdogs, England play Nigeria on Monday, 8 30 a.m. UK time kickoff. It's a 5 30 p.m. Local time kickoff. I'm now getting the hang of Australian time zones. It's only taken me two weeks. Um, <laughs> I've been living on Australian time by the end of the tournament. Um, we will be back on Tuesday to debrief, hopefully, another England win, hopefully, round to the quarterfinals. Um, but for now, we will anticipate the new further news of Kira Walsh um, and we will hope for another stunning display from England. Um, and as always, thank you to Louise and Megan. Thank you to everybody watching and we'll be back next week. <laughs>